All right, Ephesians chapter 5. We've been going through the entire book of Ephesians. We're almost at the end. We'll finish off chapter 5 today, then we've only got chapter 6 and we are done. Just sort of, I think by the end of October we should have pretty much wrapped up Ephesians. What we looked at last time was um, being a spirit-filled people. The, The command from the Apostle Paul was to the church in Ephesus, be filled with the Spirit. And there was an outworking of that in singing, in thankfulness, and then he, he ended the section talking about submission, submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ, it says in verse 21. We're going to be moving on to the next thing, and, but it's closely linked. I want you to make the link in your mind with what we just looked at last time with being a spirit-filled people, and the next three sections, which we'll look at over three successive weeks, there, there, there is a link in the way in Paul's train of thought. We're going to have to break it up because it's a long section and we need to take it piece by piece. But it's all out of a spirit-filled life. What does a spirit-filled life look like? Paul has started talking about it and then he rolls out three more things that are the outworking of this spirit-filled life. And this uh, section of Ephesians is, is referred to often as the household table. It was referred to that by Martin Luther the Reformer because it talks about uh, three relationships within the household. It talks about husbands and wives, it talks about parents and children and masters and slaves. And each member is addressed equally throughout it all. There is no inferiority in it. It's, he talks to parents as, on the same part as he talks to children. So there is a... Um, equality within that, but he deals with each one successively and says that the outworking of being spiritual believers, this is what it looks like uh, for you. Um, and um, we're going to be taking the first one, which is wives and husbands today. Now, if you are a wife or a husband, this is obviously immediately applicable to you because you'll be thinking, well, I'm a wife, I listen to the wife stuff, I'm a husband, I need to listen to the husband stuff. But it's actually applicable to all of us, so we have a rounded understanding of how um, Paul would have believers, the church, function. And if you are not married and you would one day desire to be married, this is what you're getting yourself into, what the Bible teaches. So it would be prudent to listen and think, is this really what I'm up for? But this is what the Bible says about uh, marriage, wives and husbands. And this is actually the longest section in the New Testament, I'm, I'm told from reading the commentaries, that deals with marriage. This is the longest one. It talks about it in lots of different places, but this is the longest single section that deals with the relationship between the husbands and the wives. It deals with the wives at the beginning, uh, on a shorter section, then a much longer section dealing with the husbands. So we're going to go through it bit by bit. Look at the word to the wives first, then the word to the husbands, and then um, we'll bring some application out of that. So, verse 22. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church." because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. 
This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects the husbands. Okay, we're going to start with the word to the wives, and then we're going to look at the word to the husbands, that first section. Wives are addressed first. It's actually wives, not women, specifically at those who are married, um, and he's talking about submission. Now, in this day and age, this culture... This submission is not a sexy concept. It's not something that is encouraged or talked about or enjoyed. It usually has ideas of tyranny and oppression and, and usually negative, negative connotations um, with this. But it's what Paul says, so we have to deal with this. And one of the, the great things about preaching through the Bible verse by verse is you can't avoid anything. You can't skip over bits and think that's hard, that's unpalatable, we'll leave it. We've got to deal with it all. And Paul wanted to write about it. And this links back to what Paul has already been said about being full of the Spirit. Being full of the Spirit. He's talked about submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ and now he's outworking what he wants that to look like. And he's talking about submission. Now submission doesn't imply inferiority. It doesn't imply inferiority. It means equal but different. It's like your left hand and your right hand. They, they complement each other. You have both, you, you use them together. Sometimes one is a dominant hand. You're usually left-handed or right-handed on your writing. I'm right-handed. That's what I write with. But if you said, well, you're going to not you have your left hand, I would be really quite mortified because I, I use it and that's one, one I wear my wedding ring on, which means lots to me. And so there is, even though he's talking about submission, he's not talking about inferiority, he's talking about equal, but they're just different. They're just different. And he's, he's talking about it in, in terms of wives to your husband. The submission terms talks about order. What is the way things are ordered? What is the order God has put things, the universe, together? It's often used in, in terms of soldiers following a general in an army. You just you submit and follow the orders of the general. And the idea being that one has a role and one doesn't. And usually, or always, the one with more authority has greater responsibility. And actually, usually more is demanded of them because of their um, responsibility and authority. And so it's talking about wives submitting to husbands. Not all wives to all husbands, one wife to one husband, not all women to all men, but just wives to husband. And this is the way God has appointed it. Because it's not just actually comes up in Ephesians, it comes up in Titus 2 and 1 Peter 3, the same idea. So this is a kind of a scriptural thing. And its origin is always found in God, okay? Where does this come from? It comes from God. Because if we find in 1 Corinthians 15, this is a fascinating verse, bearing in mind who it's talking about. When all things are subjugated to him, God the Father, the Son himself will also be subjugated to him. So it's actually saying that Jesus is actually in submission to his Father. He said, who will put all things in subjugation under him, that God may be all in all. In the Godhead, we have the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, there is one God, he is three persons, each person fully God. They are co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent. So we have the Godhead as three persons. But within that, what the theologians call the economy of the Trinity, there are different roles. Because who died on the cross? Jesus. Okay, that was his role. Who's the one who was sent to come alongside us on the earth? The Spirit. There are different roles. Who is the Father? Well, it's the Father. There's only one in that sense. But each one has a different role. But they are co-equal, co-eternal. But there's actually authority within the Trinity. God the Father sent God the Son. 
It says that, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. And the son went willingly. And the son, you know, died for us willingly. But he was sent. And then what happened? He returned to heaven. And what did Jesus say he was going to do? I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit then, in submission to the Father and the Son, said, I will go and I will be on the earth and be with the church. And so we, have, we see it within the Trinity. So this idea of submission actually is born out of the Godhead. It's not born out of a culture. It's not born out of you know, whatever you want to put on. Paul writing in the first century AD to a church in Ephesus. It's born out of who God is. And it is something beautiful. It's not something ugly or oppressive or negative. It's something that is the very nature and character of God. The son willingly submitted himself to the fire. says, yet not my will, but yours. And could you ever say that Christ was inferior or weak or a poor example for us to follow? No, he's the king of kings and lord of lords. And God the Father said, one day I'll put all things under your feet and you will rule everything forever. And so the idea of submission is born out of the Godhead and we've got to see it as a beautiful thing, not as a negative thing. C.S. Lewis described the Godhead as the dance, as the Father, Son and Holy Spirit in an eternal, loving relationship, dancing together in perfect harmony. Okay, who watches Strictly Come Dancing? Confess now. It's ghastly, but you know. They, when they do it right, they look good, don't they? When they, when they nail it, they look good because they are dancing together and it is absolutely beautiful to watch. There's always a leader, the guy leads the dance, but when it's, when it's working in time, it is magnificent to watch. When it's not, it's laughable, isn't it? And frankly, quite ungainly and bad and you, know, and you kind of you enjoy the comedy of it. Well, that's when it's not functioning, but when it is, it is beautiful. So this idea of submission is actually something that is born out of God, so it has to be good, it has to be perfect and it's something that is beautiful and it's ironic that it's actually the women that's asked to submit because the women are the beautiful ones, aren't they? You know, guys. Guys aren't called beautiful. Women are called beautiful because they are and that's just the way God has designed it. And it says there that we are wiser to submit to the husbands as to the Lord. So it's actually, the idea is actually that the model is how we submit to Christ. All of us, we submit to Christ. He's in charge, he's the king, and that should be um, the fitting way of it. And it also says, in everything, which is quite scary. There's a submission to be in everything, which actually avoids legalism. Because I don't know about you, if someone told me to submit, like my boss at work or something like that, you think, fine, I'll submit a word, but outside I won't. Anything outside of your authority, I'm just going to kick against. But the idea is actually there is an attitude of heart, the same way we submit to Christ in our lives. Christ rules our lives, which means he, we should, he should submit in our attitudes, our actions, our money, our relationships, our employment, our friendships, our leisure activity. We don't cut Jesus off from one bit and say, you can have this bit but you can't have that bit because he rules it all. And it's the same way the submission there is actually there is a general attitude of heart um, towards that. And the reason given for this submission, you might think this is, this is quite hard, the reason is because that's the way it is. It says the husband is the head of the wife as Jesus is the head of the church. It's just the way it's been designed. And we'll actually look when you come to the husband bit, he actually cites creation, he quotes Genesis. It's almost the way it's been designed from the beginning. This is the way marriage should be, that actually that the, um, Christ is the head of the church and husband is the head of the wife. And so the question comes not, you know, who, who is 
who actually should be, ha- have the authority in the home is are you doing a good job or a bad job is actually the authority um, the point and it's not the idea of being a boss or an employer it's the idea of being a loving loving serving husband who serves the wife which is what we'll come on to but the wives are told to submit graciously to the lead of the husband and that the model is Jesus it's always the model um, of what we do, this thing, of how Jesus submitted to his Father. That's what we're to follow. And even all of us are, are supposed to submit to God and follow his lead. So, a little bit of application there for the wives, and then we'll get on to the much longer sections for the husband, is that, number one, make sure you're full of the Holy Spirit. This section began with, be full of the Spirit continually. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, giving thanks, you know, thanksgiving to God out of reverence Christ we submit, then it's wise to submit to your husband. So it's a be full of the Spirit. The second thing is be thoroughly convinced of what the Bible says about this. Reread this passage, read Titus 2, read 1 Peter 3, and get a grasp of what God is saying. Because we can be influenced and pushed by culture all the time. We just have to watch the telly, read the newspaper, and we're, we're, we're breathing in something. And it might be biblical, or it, and it might so often isn't. And so we need to put ourselves under the word and do what it says. Next thing, talk to your husband, ladies. I'm going to tell the husbands in a minute to talk to you, so it'll work both ways. Talk to your husbands about this. Tell them how you feel about this. Tell them you know, what this means to you. Have a frank, open discussion. If you're single here and you're not married and one day you might like to be, find a godly woman you like who is married and ask them how they deal with verses like this how they deal with this concept with their husband. Get an understanding of it. Don't be ignorant or push it away. The Bible teaches it and we've got to be able to process it and live with it. And the last thing, I I dare you, wives here, to live in a culture where it says submission is ugly and terrible in all its forms and show it actually is beautiful. Like Christ in his death on the cross is actually beautiful because it means salvation for people like us. Submission to your husband in a gracious, godly way is the most beautiful thing. My heart is that when people look at real life church and they look at the people in it, one of the things they're going to look at is the marriages in the church. They'll look at the parenting, which we'll come on to next, and how we work out in the world and how we're good employees, but they're going to look at the marriages and I want them to see devastatingly beautiful marriages. That when they come amongst us, they say there's something about way God has put you and you, husband and wife, together and the way that you work together, that is just so captivating. It goes against everything I see in the world. Something that is absolutely beautiful and breathtaking. And that is my heart. That is what I want us to see. But the only way that's going to work is if wives do what they're supposed to, husbands, which we'll come on to, do what you're supposed to do, and we have beautiful marriages which are falling apart at the rate of whatever the, the new percentage is for divorce rates, that actually the, the marriages we see in the church are beautiful and reflect something of Christ. Let's move on to the husbands. This is where it's going to get harder. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Love, 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 love. Love. Men aren't so good at this. You know, we, we, prefer, we probably prefer fight, fight, strive, work, do. Love, love, love. Interestingly, he doesn't say rule, exercise headship, have authority, be in charge, or anything of the sort. What does he say? He says, 
love. Love your wife. That is a duty. That is a command of God. Love your wife. As Christ loved the church. So there's even a qualification of what that love can look like. You are to love your wife unceasingly, passionately, devoted to her through everything till you die. And this is an emotional response. It's a willing response. It's not just an intellectual response. It's something that must take a whole kind of being, guys. This is all of us. We can sometimes think love and, you know, let's be honest, what do I think? Sex. Yeah, I can do that. Have sex with my wife is what I just read. And that I will nail. But actually there is... There is, it is, there's a wider implication. There is an m- emotional response. We have to connect emotionally. Yes, we do, men. That might mean, you know, showing our emotions, you know, somehow. Are we ha- happy? Are we sad? Are we angry? Are we, you know, we have to connect with our wife. We have to show love and devotion to them. And it is a command of God. So, often when we think about our lives, and we often talk about, you know, Jesus saved us from sin and we should um, then put sin to death in our life. We might think about things that we do, bad things, you know, lying and swearing and stuff. Do you ever think about it as not loving your wife enough? Because I would submit to you that's as sinful as lying. Because Paul very clearly says, love your wife as Christ loved the church. I.e., if you're not devoting yourself to that, it's just as bad as lying, cheating and stealing. And so there is a command on us, Husbands, to love our wife as Christ loved the church. And the model there is Jesus said he he gave himself up for the church. That means he sacrificed to the point of his own death. And it wasn't even a quick, nice death. It was a slow, painful, drawn-out, torturous execution. But Christ willingly gave himself up for the church in that way. And husbands should do the same for their wives. So there is a cost to it. So our love for the wife should cost in some way. Men generally are happy to work hard and give themselves in the working employment environment. For modern men, it's probably the nearest we'll get to kind of fighting and striving and kind of combat gladiatorial, all the things that we love, braveheart, gladiator. You know, The nearest we're going to get is a desk in an office trying to nail down a deal or something. And actually, we're willing to often give ourselves into that and work the hours and put the time in. But actually, the home is the place that we should be doing that with our wives. Our love for our wives should cost us in some way. It will cost you time, it will cost you energy, it will cost you money, it will cost you sleep, it will cost you your leisure activities, it will cost you your time, your things you're doing to give to your wife to prioritise her. And if you're not doing that, if you think, actually, my love for wife doesn't cost me very much, I submit to you, you're not loving her as Christ loved the church. And if at any point you might think, how do I know when I'm doing this, if I'm doing okay, what should you do? Ask your wife. She's the referee. And if she calls foul, guess what? You're foul. You have to change. So if you want to have that frank discussion with your wife, how am I doing? You shut up and you let her speak and you say at the end, depending on what she says, yes, I'll change. Because that's the way it works. 
Christ's love in the church, there's some things that it could look like. You've got to love your wife as Christ loved the church. That means taking initiative when it comes to repentance and reconciliation. We were in sin, Jesus took the initiative, came and saved us. When there is conflict in your home between you and your wife, you say sorry first. You repent first. You choose to reconcile first. You make the effort. Even if your effort is rebuffed, because she's still in the mood for what you did, you go again. You have to take the initiative. Be responsible for things that aren't necessarily your fault. You know what those things are. Things come up and you think, if I was a lawyer here and I had the law, I could actually put blame on you because you did this you know, in response to my this and two wrongs don't make a right and all that kind of stuff. No. You have to say sorry and put it right first and sometimes it means taking responsibilities that, is that really my fault? Yes. Take the responsibility for that. Because it is your privilege, men, to be like Jesus to your wife. Your wife should be able to look at you and think, isn't he a gorgeous hunk of you know, manliness? But at the same time, see Jesus there. Because you're pointing to something greater than just you. The way Jesus loves the church is being reflected in your love and devotion to your wife. Moving on. It then talks about the spiritual health and physical health. It says in verse 26 that Jesus, he says, he might sanctify her, the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that he might be holy and without blemish. He basically, Paul goes on to explain kind of what Jesus did. He said he loved the church, gave himself up for her. This is kind of what it looked like. There he says he might sanctify, present her, enable her, um, uh, present her without blemish. And what the commentators are saying, that it's most likely he's referencing a passage in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 16, 1-14, where it talks about God redeeming Israel, and it uses the image of a woman who is covered in rags and dirty and, and has kind of got blood on her and just not in a nice space. And it says, the people of Israel like that, it says, God says, I took you... And then I presented you, I washed you, I cleaned you, I put you in this beautiful dress um, and I, I kind of doled you up and made you look absolutely devastating to present himself to her. As God plays the role of the husband, you are now the wife. So he said, you kind of, there's a, a change in you that um, I've done. Um, God said, I've sanctified, I've set you apart, you are now my people. And he's saying, um, for that's what Christ did with the church, and he's saying to the husbands, you need to be like that with your wives. Now, well, I can't save my wife, because Jesus has already done that, so what's my role? Well, my role is to ensure her spiritual health. God has set her apart, as he set all of us apart, as the church, but husbands, you have a responsibility because with any kind of authority becomes greater responsibility. You can't have one without the other. You have a responsibility for your wife's spiritual health and well-being. You have obviously a responsibility of your own, number one, but you have a responsibility for hers to enable, however you can, that she is having a walk with Jesus. What does this look like? Number one, you've got to have a walk with Jesus. You've got to have a walk with Jesus that is happening daily that is worth looking at. You're going to take your responsibility seriously. You need to be a believer who is reading his Bible, praying, repenting of sin, and 
and trying to act out, live out what God has said to you. Then you need to be able to enable your wife to do that. To, so she can have a walk with Jesus. And so the question I ask you guys, how is your wife doing in her walk with Jesus? If the answer's er, uh, then you're failing somewhere. You need to go home and have a frank discussion with her and say, how's it going? Because when you know how it's going, then you can move on to the next things. Do you ask her regularly how it's going? Do you ask her what she's reading in the Bible? You ask her, how can I help you maintain a walk with Jesus? What can I do to do that? This, I found this particularly acute in my life when we had children. When we were both kind of working and had our lives, we had a lot more time to play with and for Mel having a walk with God and me having a walk with God, it was relatively, I now find, relatively easy, relatively straightforward. We suddenly added children into the mix, or even only, only took one, a child, and suddenly everything got shattered. Every routine, I mean, I, I thrive on routine, so my world fell apart. Um, and let alone Melanie, had the baby, trying to feed him and everything. But actually, we had to have some frank discussions of what can I do to help you have your walk with Jesus? How can I enable it? When's the best time? What can I do? I need to take the children. Do I need to change my routine to fit you into it? What do I need to do in the morning? Does it work better in the evening for you? You need to have that um, discussion uh, with her. For Melanie, one of the things that she absolutely thrives on, which I kind of learnt through our marriage life, is for her, is having a bath. For her, having a bath, for, you know, like giving her 45 minutes or so, just that bit of time out, helps her physically, emotionally and spiritually. She'll, the amount of time she comes out of the bar saying, I've read this in my Bible, God spoke to me about this, da-da. So for me, one of my practical things is I need to enable her to have regular bath times. I mean, it sounds kind of a bit, really? But for her, that, that floats her boat. I mean, for me, I'd be hell on earth. You know, I shake showers, I hate baths. You know, sitting in your dirt, mm. you know. Why? But she, for her, that is a time of recharging spiritually. And so I, I have to try and book that into the week. When can I give you a bath? Even it was last night. There was, Mel almost said to me, I don't think I can have a bath because of X, Y, and Z. I said, okay, I need to take X off you and Y off you so you can do that and I'll cover them just so you can have it. Um, I'm so glad that happened last night because I've now got an illustration to tell you. you know, and it makes me look good. But it literally last night this happened. But it was, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a sacrifice, it's an effort. I've got to make the effort, I've got to think about it. But for her, that makes a huge difference in a walk with God. We try and make a point on our day nights, we have them once a week. How are you doing with Jesus? That's one of the questions. We have. How are you doing? What are you reading? What are you learning? What's going on in your life? But I, I need to ask her to help her, um, to enable her. Then the question is, what, anything more I can do? If the answer is no, brilliant. If the answer is yes, then we can move forward with that. So there is, husbands, you have a responsibility to enable. You can't do it for them, but you can enable. You can do what you can to enable them to have a walk with Jesus. And it moves on, and it talks about a physical, kind of more physical, emotional side. It says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes, as does Christ the church. And what Paul is driving at is this kind of, this, um, the, he calls it a mystery, which doesn't help me trying to explain it. But it's a mystery, okay? We'll put that over the top. And he quotes Genesis, that when um, man and woman get married, they come together, two become one. There's this kind of, um, sort of mystery going on where they're two, but actually there's a oneness has occurred um, through their union. 
um, together. He says, and it's the same with Christ and the church. There is a oneness, there is a connection that goes beyond the physical, a spiritual, emotional dynamic between the husband and the wife. And as the husband loves his own body, as he's now become one with the wife, he should actually be caring for her in a physical way, caring for her physical and emotional needs. Um, so just as you, you know, if you don't look after your own body and you seek to damage and destroy it, ultimately, you know, you'll be diagnosed with some kind of, you know, there'll be issues. If people self-harm, there'll be something, they need help. So they're not doing that. They're not damaging themselves. But actually, we're told to look after, cherish our own body. And husbands, we're told to um, enable our wife to care for them physically. The image we use, actually, is an image with baby and children, that nourishing and cherishing. Just like you, you take a small child and you care for their physical well-being and you take a lot of focused time. You're saying husbands, with that same attitude, is what you should be giving to your wife with that um, physical, emotional um, connection, emotional health. And so the question for us husbands here is, how is your wife doing physically? How are they doing? If you're not sure, ask them. Whether, you know, this could be, they could be working out, getting paid work, they could be looking after children at home, or they could be doing a mixture of the both. But how are they doing? If you don't know, you're not having sort of an ongoing awareness, talk to them. Let them say how they're doing. And then response to that is, what can I do to help? Is there anything I can help change? Is there anything we need to look at together? Do we need to you know, help you get into a club where you can do exercise on a regular basis? Do I need to give you time so you can go and do that? All these things are questions that you need to be talking to your wife and asking about. Here's a good one. Ask her how she's doing emotionally. All the guys are like, you want me to do what? Ask her how she's doing emotionally. Then, here's the key, listen to the answer. Don't, I have, I, my, one of my, I confess our sins to one of them, one of my, I have something called screensaver mode, where I can look like I'm listening, and I'm, but actually my mind is off, like, oh, I wonder what, you know, I wonder what's happening over there, or wonder, you know, I need to go and check my email, or something, do you know what I mean? Listen to her, and connect with her. And the way that Melanie and I do this, because I'm um, a man and my, I'm, I'm, I'm archetypal kind of British. I'm, my wife sometimes says to me, oh, you're so British. And it, yes, I am, you know. But I have a stiff upper lip and we keep our emotions, you know, in check and we, you know, everything's all right, you know, and we're stoic and that kind of thing. So to actually connect emotionally requires conscious effort on my part where my wife, her emotions are just there. You have to deal with them. She doesn't even process. They're just out there and, you, you know, they're coming at you. And so for me to help with her and help her to communicate with me, we have something we do every week on our date nights. We ask, us, we ask each other the same questions, which are, what are you glad about? What are you sad about? What are you mad about? And what are you fearful and anxious about? So it's glad, sad, mad, fearful, anxious. And it, it, it's a way for us to connect emotionally. It's a way for me to find out how my wife is doing really what are you really struggling with? Because I thought, arrogantly as arrogant as I am, that I knew. I even told her that once. I know how you're doing. I know what's going on in your life. I know that this is what you're stressed about. And do you think I was right? I wasn't even close. I wasn't even close. It even happened when we came to plant the church here. Um, one of the guys at the church, um, we were kind of in a meeting like this, and there's a guy who's planted the church, and he was talking to all these kind of couples who were going off to plant churches all around the UK. And he said, men, you have to ask your wives what they're most fearful and anxious about in going to plant the church. And I sat there, I didn't say it out loud because I'm not that stupid, but I sat there and thought, I know what she's most fearful about. I know, 
I've got this covered. And we left the, we left the, you know, we left the kind of meeting. And Mel said, oh, you know, you know what he said about that? And I said, yeah, yeah. Oh, I know what it is. And I told her. And I was so wrong. And there was this pause as I, as I came out with my pearl of wisdom. I know what you're fearful next about, honey. I've got it covered. And, there was, and she stopped walking and I carried on. And, then suddenly, and at that point, you suddenly realise, oh, no. <laughs> I, I know I'm wrong. And you can feel the silence is deafening behind you. So you kind of, you sort of... <laughs> so, let me ask you again. What is it you're most fearful and anxious about as we go to plant, you know, move to Sutton Carpet and plant this church, to which he told me, and I, I learned a great deal from that. But, guys, we have to take, um, we have to be aware of our wife's physical and emotional needs, and I want you to ask them. You ask them, they'll tell you, and if they, they get to call foul on this, they're the umpire. They get to call foul. So if they're saying, this needs to change, this needs to change, in order for this to happen, guess what? They need to change because that's the way it's that's the way it's got to be. We are called to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for it, and so it requires sacrifice on our part. It requires sacrifice. We are to take responsibility for their spiritual, physical, emotional health, not because they're incapable, but because that's our role. And when you said I do, you signed up for something. You signed up for something, and you need to take that. Seriously, because you are going to be called to account one day for that. Paul then finishes the kind of passage there, verse 33, and he basically just brings it together. Love your wife, and the wife then is to respect and address her husband. So if we pull the kind of the two bits together, Paul has a hugely high view of marriage. He has a massively high view of marriage. It is an example, it is a picture of Christ and the church. You cannot get higher than that. It's a picture of God and his bride. And he's saying that our marriages should reflect that in some way. The husbands should be loving and sacrificing and dedicating their care to their wife in a way that if someone looked on the outside and said, man, that's just like the way Jesus treats the church. That's just like the way Jesus is passionate about the church. And in the same respect, the wife's gracious following of her husband, submitting to his leadership as he devotes himself to you, is the way that we, the church, devote ourselves to Christ. And that's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way it's been designed for, um, for us. And so the kind of the homework, if I just sort of try and pull together all the things I've said, is if you are married here today, I want you to talk to your husband or wife about this. Ask the questions. If they're out with the kids and they haven't heard this, maybe you say, listen to this and then we'll talk. Because we'll put it on the web. But talk to each other. And if you're anything like me and Mel, we might actually have to schedule how we talk. You talk first, I listen. I talk first, you listen. Just to make sure we get it all out. We can say, we talk about, for me, we have to talk about your spiritual needs, your emotional needs, your physical needs. And, you know, we'll talk about those things. Just to make sure. But talk to each other this week. Do it. You might think, well, there's too much. I might not get the whole conversation done. Fine, start it. You can start the section, you know, do part one. Make it a trilogy. You know, everything comes in trilogies. Trilogies are cool, aren't they? Do a trilogy. Do three times. Just, just get through it. But be talk. Start a dialogue. Even if you think some of these things we've never done, start now. Build something for the future. If you're single here, if you're single here and you're thinking, how does this work? Find, if you're a lady, find a godly wife. If you're a guy, find a godly husband. And say, how does this work practically? If I want to get married one day, 
talk to me what it really looks like. Equip yourself for what's coming, for what you want to get yourself ready for. There's things here that I'm learning that I'm learning the wrong side of marriage. When I got married, it's staggering what I didn't know and no one told me. And by the time you're married, it's a bit late. Not that I thought it was late, but you know what I mean? You're a bit like, oh my goodness, I'm in it. I've got to start doing it now. But actually, let's be a church where we honour marriage, we honour husbands, we honour wives, we, we have marriages that are just beautiful, that people look at them and they see Jesus and his church, and it speaks something about the glory and the wonder and the graciousness of God. Amen? that sound good? Okay, we've got, we've, got a, we've got a couple of minutes. I said to Matt I might do this, but this is quite a, a controversial topic. You know, you just went out and said some of this stuff in the world. It can be taken the wrong way and, you know, explosions can happen. So, are there any questions? Clarifications, etc. Go on. It's fantastic. I think that's a fantastic question. The question was, um, what if um, the husband is not a Christian and the wife is? And I suppose it goes the other way, doesn't it? If one of, your, one of the, the partnership isn't a believer and the other one is. I guess, for me, it's all, it always comes down to case by case because every marriage is different. But on general rules of thumb principles would be that to work out what you can from your side. Because I think if, you are, if I'm a husband and my wife isn't a Christian, I still have a responsibility for God to love her and devote myself to her and cherish her as Christ cherished the church, even if she doesn't even get it. She might think, I don't do anything with this Christ and church rubbish, but actually I'm going to devote myself in such a way that hopefully it will demonstrate something of Christ and the church to you. The same way for the, the, um, the, unbe- uh, the wife with an unbelieving husband, there is a gracious submission to his le- leadership now, we've got to be careful. Submission doesn't mean doing anything that is endangering, degrading, sinful. It's nothing like that. It's actually coming alongside. And like um, Adam and Eve, Adam, Eve was described as a helper, the one to stand alongside. A rib was taken out of Adam, wasn't it? And the woman was to stand here, protect the vital parts of the body, stand alongside. And the Holy Spirit was called the helper, same word. So it's not a degrading term, the God was called that. And so I think wise, whether your husband is saved or not, is to stand alongside them and, and be with them, protect them and follow their lead as much as it is within the Bible parameters. And most stuff is within that. It's only, you know, you get the extreme cases where it's like, let's go rob a bank, dear. And you're like, eh, no. But most of the stuff, you know, keeping home and just and being, doing life together and working and... You know, if kids come along, all those sort of things, you can keep within it. So I think there is a role just to, to do what you can within that. Um, um, and when it, when it kind of goes outside of, well, my husband's not a Christian, therefore that bit doesn't work. You, you, almost, you, can't, you can't control that. And there are plenty of non-Christian husbands who are very loving. So they're, they're loving even though they don't understand the mystery that they're, they're declaring. In the same way, there are plenty of non-Christian wives who adore their husbands and want to stand alongside them and care for them as well. So that, that, that's what I'd say, but within that, you've got case by case, because within each particular one, there's, you know, it can be different. But there'll be my general. That's what I would probably advise from not knowing. Any more? Oh, this is good, isn't it? I'm curious. Go on. I'm curious why... <coughs>
I don't actually know the Greek on that one, but I, I, they, I think they're just the same principles. If you're, if you're submitting anyone, I mean, you can do it at work. We've all got bosses if you go to work. You can submit, but submission actually shows an element of respect. You can submit grudgingly, okay, I'll do it, or you can submit actually with a respect for the authority and position that they have. Um, when I was at school... You know, I always had, I had, you know, you have key stage leaders, assistant heads, deputy heads, you know, I can, I can submit to them because I did what they say, but there's also, I can respect them for the position they hold and who they are um, as well. So I think there's also, is an, it gets at an attitude of heart, because submission is always an attitude of heart. Whether you have to submit to your boss at work, you have to submit to your parents, so they'll tell children to do that, or, or wives and husbands is actually what's going on in your heart. And if you are, if you are, submitting in a godly way, you will respect the individual for the role that they have and who they are um, to a point. Now, respect obviously can, be, can ebb and flow, can't it, depend on what they do, but there is a general, because you're my boss, because you're my husband, I, I respect that about you. But I have to go and research the actual language, but it might be just similar word grouping. Any more? I think maybe one more. Man, did I do that good a job? Wow. Okay. If this is one of those topics that just runs and runs. It's been going around for 2,000 years since Paul wrote this. So we need to talk about it. We, husband and wife need to talk about it. If you're you know, wanting to get married, talk to a godly husband or wife about it. Um, but I want us to be a church with beautiful marriages that show something of Christ in the church um, and display something. Um, it could even be, you know, it was something that will, others will see and love as a result because spiritual believers, you know, people see that. Um, so, amen.